Back up, please. Okay, okay, sure. Okay, yes, so. Okay, I'll do my little bit in the beginning and then. Let, let me put pressure on you. Okay. okay, you've got to get it right in your first take. Oh, yes. So, okay. uh, yeah. Right? Ready? You've yes. got to get it right in the first take, okay? Yeah. Okay, yes, All pressure right. on you. <laughs> I can see that, right? Okay. Hello and welcome to the Point Blank series of IndyCast where we talk to personalities from across the world who have done more than a mark in their field. And today I have with me a man of whom I am a huge fan of. So I am not going to waste time in introducing him. He has never played a test match for India. But when he is on screen with Jeffrey Boycott, Tony Gred, Ravi Shastri, Naujot Singh Sidhu and the likes, he stands tall. And he has got a tremendous sense of humour, enormous amount of energy, that beatific smile of his. And he is someone like one of those Bollywood flicks which are a hit with the masses and the critics alike. So let the camera pan on to the man that I am talking to. Is it right? <laughs> okay. Harsha Bogle. Thank you Harsha for being really very prompt on your emails and thanks for doing this. Yes, I always wanted to tell you this since I passed out from my 10th that you are a likeable character on screen. As a teenager I got a feeling that when you used to speak, when you were surrounded by all those experts in the commentary box, I got a feeling that and I've seen crowd go berserk with their posters saying Harsha pray for Varsha or Harsha for the president. My mom doesn't understand anything about cricket but she likes you because of your humor possibly. You must have been a darn good actor to pull that one off. How did you do that? One of my problems is that I suspect I'm increasingly going to the mom's generation. <laughs> no, I, I, I cannot act. If you've seen the mm -hmm. one film I've been in, I've played myself in it and I cannot act. I think that one, that's one thing abundantly clear. Uh -huh. What happens when you act is at some point the act falls and then you suddenly get shown up for what you aren't or rather for what you really are and what you're trying to portray. No, I don't act. I'm exactly the same because uh, it's complicated enough presenting a live telecast. Mm -hmm. It's even worse trying to be somebody else. So I'm, I'm just like that. What are the elementary things that you might have learned in those precocious days? You're only 19 or 20 when you got in. So what are the things that people like Jeffrey Boycott and the likes told you? I'll tell you what, when I was 19 I was doing local cricket. I only did my first international when I was uh, 23 and that was on Doordarshan as well. So by the time I got to work with Jeffrey, it was 1993. In the Hero Cup, I think. In the, in the Hero Cup, one of the best cricket moments I've ever seen. When India beat South Africa in that final. Uh, in, there was South Africa, yeah, South yes. Africa in the final. And almost instantly everyone in... Uh, the final had, was West Indies. 6 or 12 in the final, yes. when they beat South Africa, it happened the first time when they beat West Indies, it happened the second time. Mm -hmm. All of them lit those torches and even Gardens was like one flaming torch, it was something I'd never seen before. But it wasn't until 93 that I started working with proper professional television. Harsha, you like to use this phrase, uh, young and fearless. I've seen that very often in your writing to describe the current Indian cricket team who won the 2020 World mm -hmm. Cup. Now, let's cut to your life. When as a 17 year old or as a teenager, you possibly knew that you could pull it off because nobody had done what you did before. But were there moments of doubts when you thought that in your quirky little style that hang on, you might be kidding yourself because you are searching a job in a job market that didn't exist, at least till then. You know, one of the dangers of uh, what you just said is mm -hmm. to over romanticize what is actually a fairly simple path. Sometimes you do things and then you sit back a few years later mm -hmm. and then you start to think, hang on, I actually did that, you know. But while you are doing it, mm -hmm. you are not thinking I am going to reach that particular peak. Today's generation is far more focused far sure of what they want, we didn't know. But the one big advantage that we had was uh, that we had very little to lose. 
when you're earning a lot, mm-hmm. when you've got too many possibilities in front of you, then you've got too much to lose. And so actually you start to take fewer risks because what you have is, is very comfortable. I didn't make the big jump. I keep telling people that. I didn't make the big jump. I did my first commentary when I was in college. I was playing senior division cricket at the time. And I was studying, I was in my fourth year, or would have been my third year of engineering. And I got a break as a radio commentator. I was a young kid then. In fact, I did radio commentary before I played for my university, the All India University. So I actually did that first and then played in the Rowington Barrio. Then when I, I got into Doordarshan, I was doing a job. But on Doordarshan and All India Radio, you did no more than two or three games a year. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that you had to give up something to go there. And heaven knows how I even got a chance there because I didn't know then, as I got to know later, that you've got to know the right people to get an opportunity. I didn't know anybody at all. But sometimes things happen. I, I took a decision to leave my job in 1990. And a lot of factors contributed to that. One, that my wife was working. One, that our love for money was very low. We could get by on what we had and get a house in Mumbai. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge risk. I, I had no goals. I didn't say... All I knew was that one day I wanted people to say, hang on, this guy's the best combinator we've had. But that was a distant dream. It wasn't that I said, at this point I should be here and this point I should be here. But I remember when I did the Hero Cup, I got paid three and a half thousand rupees a day. And a couple of my friends said, are you mad to work for that little... Mm-hmm. And I said, are you mad? Because I'd work to pay them three and a half thousand, I'd still do it. Yeah. And I said, if I'm all right, mm-hmm. next time they pay me more. So I don't care what I'm getting mm-hmm. as long as I get the opportunity. And one, one thing led to another, but uh, I've got my backside off on, on tours as well. I freelance, I do a lot of things as well. But the idea that you could get a television contract only came about in 1996. So then when was that moment when you said that you've made it, when you looked at yourself in the mirror, it, this, this sounds very melodramatic, but there would have been that first celebration with your family for the dinner because you made it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like a movie actor when he gets his first big hit because mm-hmm. it's quantifiable. My movie's become a hit. I've got three producers at my door and they're offering me X plus 5X. That never happened. I wondered the day TWI offered me a contract. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, you know what, we'll give you a thousand pounds a month. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not bad. I came remember coming home telling her, you know what, they're offering a thousand pounds a month. I don't know why. <laughs> but money was never an objective. When money becomes an objective, then you're not in it for the fun. Right. Now, in the commentary box, there are a couple of things that I've noticed consistently about you. I remember one time when you and Sunny Gavaskar were in the box and Rahul Dravid had come out to bat. And he left the ball alone. And Gavaskar spoke about that leave for at least a minute. And he was so excited about that, that here's a batsman who knows the art of leaving the ball. The ball even hadn't hit the middle of the bat. And then in the end, you looked at him and said, Ah, Sonny, you just seem to have had an orgasm of happiness, didn't you? And did we I, all laughed. Did I actually use the word orgasm You did, you did. And did I actually? You did. And Sunny laughed. We laughed as viewers. Now, my question to you is, three these things can't be scripted. All right, we know that. But how do you prepare yourself to be on screen? No, I don't. But you prepare not the day before a game, not two days before a game, but every day of your life. Because you're following cricket all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to know the scores. If, right. say, Madhya Pradesh is playing services, you don't go searching for it. But if you see a scorecard somewhere, you just look at that scoreboard and say, yeah, Amit Kurasi has scored a few runs here, or Abbas Ali has scored a few runs here. Just the name sticks in mind somewhere. Right. And then when the time comes, you talk about Amit Kurasi, yes, I know Amit Kurasi, I played for Madhya Pradesh. Mm-hmm. He's that kind of player, an aggressive left-hand batsman. You have to know. It's like someone working in stocks. You've got to know little sm- some of the small-cap stocks as well. You've got to know some mid-cap stocks. Everyone knows the large-cap stocks. Right. So you follow cricket every day. So when the time comes, you know what there is to say. So you don't actually prepare the evening before a game. Because if you prepare your sentences, mm-hmm. then you sound rehearsed. And if anyone on live television sounds rehearsed, then they're not doing something, they're doing something wrong. So every day when I leave home, I ask myself, have I got my scorecard notebook? Have I got X? Have I got Y? Have I got Z? And I've actually done this. And I pause. Mm-hmm. And I say, have I got my wits around today? <laughs> 
The answer has to be yes or no. I mean, I'm answering it myself. But I do ask myself, if I don't know which salam today, I punish myself sometimes if I've not slept enough. Because I tend to have this habit when I'm on uh, on tours, I don't sleep enough. Mm-hmm. If you don't sleep enough, it shows. Like my eyes are showing now. My eyes right. are looking tired now. You can see that. If your eyes look tired, then it's not fair to the company that puts you up there. They're not put you up there to have tired eyes. Mm-hmm. So you must sleep enough. You must rest enough. And you must be in a good mood all the time. Right. I don't think too much. I don't know if that's an exciting enough answer. Is that a good thing or a bad thing though? It's a, it's a good thing in that you're spontaneous. It's a bad thing in that sometimes you come back at the end of the day and say, you know what, I could have done that better. But it's just that that's the way some people are. I found every day I sat up before a match and said, listen, buddy, do well tomorrow, okay? It's a mm-hmm. big game, you must do well tomorrow. And then when you go and think, I have to do well today, okay? Yeah, this is it's a world feed, everyone's watching. It's a final of the world, 2020, I've got to do well today. Then your mind is on the result. And the moment you put your mind on the result, you're letting anxiety come into your system. The result is the greatest source of anxiety in life. But why worry about the result? Whereas, if you're just normal, you're chatting. It's like any other day. So if you try to be different on a big day, you actually get your, uh, your performance down. So it's regarded as any other day. Who, who's the most toughest person to handle in the commentary box? I'm a, I'm a with moods. You've got to take care of people with moods. You don't like people with moods. Mm-hmm. Because... In the end, there's only two people you're answerable to. One is the channel that's employed you. They've employed you and they've given you a handsome contract because they expect you to deliver a certain level of performance. You can't let them down. And you can never let the viewer down because the viewer is doing you a favor by switching on. You are not doing the viewer a favor by saying, listen, you must be hallowed because I'm in thy presence. He has the option or she has the option of switching channels or the remote. So if they choose to be on your channel, they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. So you have to be answerable to only those two people. And if you get your mood swings and you're in a bad mood and you're letting these two people down and you can't allow that. So moody people, little worried. I'm a huge fan of uh, Boycott and Siddhu when they are talking to you, when they are there. Together they're a handful. Right. They were a handful. So how do you handle, say, a Navjot Singh Sidhu who sometimes the love of the game gets the better of him and he is too excitable a character? Listen, I've not worked with him for about three, three and a half years now. We're very close friends. We're very, very good friends. But it wasn't easy when the two of them were together. But I often say I felt like Kofi Annan in the middle of of it all and as ineffective. But you've got to, in your mind, start balancing it out. If Sidhu's given one long answer, then I'll go to Jeffrey twice. I won't come to him. Okay. Because in the end, I've got to get my rundown through as well. I've got to get the commercials out as well. So it's a bit of a balancing act to see that everybody's point of view is suitably represented. So that's the other thing you have to think about as well. You're listening to someone in your ear. You're listening to your colleague in the studio talking. You're thinking about what your next point is going to be. And you're thinking of balancing this out. I mean, it's not as dramatic as it sounds. But you do have to balance it out sometimes. So what you tend to do is, if there's an issue on which you think Jeffrey is going to have a more considered answer, you go to him. If you think Gavaskar is going to give a more considered answer, you go to him first. For example, when Ravi just came back from Bangladesh after he was manager there. Things about the Indian team, I'd instinctively go to Ravi first because he'd spent a lot of time with them there. Mm-hmm. So it works like that. It's it's dynamic. It's not it's not very scripted. And when on screen, when you're talking about, say, uh, Yurat Singh has had a very good year, mm-hmm. suddenly, two seconds later, the statistics are up yeah. of Yurat Singh mm-hmm. for that year. Now, do you and the TV crew work in tandem or there are times when they catch up with you just after you've said? So how Sometimes. does it... You know that those statistics are going to come up most times. Okay. Because it's on the rundown. The reason I'm talking about you, Raj, is my producers told me uh-huh. that I've got these statistics and this piece of tape of action coming up. So now start talking about you, Raj. So then I start talking about you, Raj, mm-hmm. and then he puts it on. He's talking to me in my ear all the time. So he says, okay, that's that's enough. We're going to the next point. Next point is you, Raj. I've got the stats up. I've got all this up. Mm-hmm. So then you move the conversation to you, Raj, and that comes up. So it should look seamless. So I know it's coming up already. 
and even the that's on a, that's on a studio show right. on commentary I might ask for it I might I might go on the lazy button where I have a talk back to the mm-hmm. producer and say I want you to run stats next so, in your articles you are very very opinionated yes. and whereas you have an art to draw opinions from the experts when you are on air yes. now why is that because mm-hmm. my role as a newspaper columnist is different. I have a free hand as a newspaper columnist. But in television, my role is to ensure that everybody's got a point of view and that a point of view is coming out. So I try not to project my point of view too much, but actually if you realize I do it, I do it a little more subtly. Exactly. But I'm acutely aware of the fact that even if I do know that Yuvraj is not leaning into his drive, right. it will be accepted if someone else says he's leaning into his drive. If I say, why is Yuvraj pulling over his right shoulder when that's a more dangerous shot to play than pulling over your left shoulder? But if I say, look, he's pulling over his right shoulder, that's not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Somebody might turn down and say, so when was the last time you pulled Brett Lee off your right shoulder? It's a yeah. stupid question, but it's mm-hmm. a question people ask. So then I might turn to an Ian Chappell and say, you used to be one of the great hookers of the game. Mm-hmm. Did you find a difference between pulling off, hooking off your left shoulder and over your right shoulder? Is he's hooking off his right. Was that very different? Mm-hmm. Then I get someone who's played the hook shot very well to talk about it. I know the answer, but I'm getting it from a more authoritative source. And it, it makes them look good as well. I see my job as making them look good. Uh-huh. I hope they realize that. <laughs> no, but I do see that as a very inherent part of my job, that I must make the telecast look good. And the t- making the telecast look good means making the colleagues on the telecast look good as well. Uh, you've always said there is the Australian way of doing things and the Indian way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Or and there's an English way of doing things and a Sri Lankan way and a South African way. So what is it that, since you've been so close to all the players, the Indians or Australians, you've seen them. So is it that the Australians train that much harder or they have something for breakfast which is different? How do the Australians come out and they seem that they will win the match? Two or three things. One is all Australians grow up playing sport in their backyard. And where their children get into N-1th class, mm-hmm. whichever it is that you graduate, it is in the end of the world. It's a country of 18 million people. It's a country of opportunity. So you can play sport. Playing sport is looked up to in society. So between someone who's played sport and got a decent score and someone who's got a score and doesn't play sport, I have a fair idea who would be respected where. But children just grow up playing sports. Vast outdoors country. So they're naturally athletic. They would have played softball, they would have played touch rugby, they would have played something or the other natural ball skills. I found that I enjoyed fielding in one position. I really seriously, I, I enjoyed fielding far more than batting or bowling. And I just acquired a natural sense of where the ball was going to go. Mm-hmm. And I found when I started to play volleyball among friends, I found naturally it came easier to me. So when you've played one sport, another sport becomes, you just get a different instinct for it. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, Australian sport is far, far, far more scientific than Indian sport. And the Australian cricket board is run far, far, far more soundly than the Indian cricket board. The Australian cricket board is about cricket. The Indian cricket board is about finance. So the Indian cricket board wins on finance. The Australian cricket board wins on cricket. I think we are prouder about winning on finance and they are proud about winning at cricket. You win what you want to win. So I think that's why Australia are different. And they come from a very tough competitive situation. If you're playing a club game, Mm -hmm. a guy is running up to knock your head off. If you're doing commentary with them, they're coming hard at you all the time. And they challenge your opinion all the time. They won't say, oh, this nice guy said something. I don't agree with him, okay, but he might look bad on on screen. Mm -hmm. So let me not say that. They challenge your opinion. So everything is a challenge. But a challenge is not vicious. It's not malicious. It's just a challenge. So if I don't like you, mm-hmm. I'll say, listen, I think you're talking nonsense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you say, no, I'm not talking nonsense. This is my point of view. But everybody has a point of view there. If you don't have a point of view, you're not respected. And that's why their players are cricketing-wise a little more intelligent than our players, I think. Oh, okay. So that is why I believe they've been number one for that long. In mm-hmm. India, we, we respect talent very much. And beyond a point, talent is a, is a liability. 
It's your attitude that wins. Talent is a liability beyond a point. It's your attitude that wins. And in Australia, they've got a damn tough attitude. They come hard at you at everything that you do. And that's why I think they're tougher players. I love the country. Talking about attitude, for us as viewers, uh, Rahul Dravid, Saro Ganguly and Sachin Tendulkar. There is so much written about these three. Most of it is shallow. I mean, we don't know what the truth is actually. Rahul Dravid doesn't talk much on camera. How are these three in person? You've seen them since adolescence. And how do they approach the game? They're very different. I think, I think Saurabh Ganguly has far greater insights into the game than some people believe he does. Saurabh Ganguly is tougher than a lot of people believe he is. Mm-hmm. And Saurabh Ganguly is not a martyr that some stupid idiots try to make him out to be. He knows what he can do. He knows what he cannot do. He's a tough cricketer. And he's good to talk to. Mm-hmm. Rahul is very studious. Saurabh is very instinctive. Saurabh is very emotional. Mm-hmm. Reacts like that, goes like that. He just he just follows instinct. He might get out of the, of the uh, dressing room or the pavilion saying, this is what generally my plan is going to be. And he would change that in three goals. He follows the instinct. Rahul is far more studied, more studious. I think, I think your background, the city you come from, the parents you've grown up with, all that comes in. Rahul is very studious. Rahul, you catch Rahul reading a book. And... I have enormous admiration for uh, for Rahul Dravid. Enormous admiration. I mean, nobody has just 56, 57 in test cricket over 100 test matches. Very, very few people do that. And Tendulkar's man a few words. Hmm. But he opens out with people who know him. And uh, I laugh sometimes at the way we talk about Tendulkar. So I, I sat in my room and rolled my head back and laughed at people passing comments about the great man. Tendulkar comes once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And when people come once in a lifetime, you just say, thank you, thank you for the memories, thank you for the music. As they say, what is the other song? Thank you for the music. That's what you do with the Tendulkar, you say, thank you very much. It's not to say they don't criticize him. Mm-hmm. It's not that you say you don't have a comment on Tendulkar, but you put things in perspective. How many people from 1989 to 2007 have played as consistently as he has? Nasser Hussain told me on my last on our last trip to India, he says, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. He said, Tendulkar, today... In today's form, give us the welcome to play for England. So you guys don't know what you have. And one of the problems is that the media has become irresponsible. A good story is a bad story in the news, remember. If you say, I think Rahul Dravid is a good cricketer, mm-hmm. it's not a story. If you say, I think Rahul Dravid is finished, it's a story. If you say, wow, Tendulkar in his 17th year is still good, it's not a story. If you say, Endulkar, it's a story. And uh, well, you get all kinds of people in the media, but I think when you look at the likes of Tendulkar, Dravid, you look at them differently. If, if Dravid has five, four games in a row and you're going to drop him, I'm afraid it shows up a lot of shallowness around. He's one of the toughest cricketers I've met. You briefly spoke about the money in the game. When it comes to money, India is number one in contributing as well as raking in the money. But sometimes when I have to take, say, my sister to a 1K day stadium, the, the toilet facilities are not as good. So I, as a cricket fan, feel that the money is not spent well. Now I'm talking to Harsha Bhavi, the cricket fan. What are your I don't views? go to watch cricket matches in India. I feel it's a shame. I think it's a disgrace to our cricket lovers who fund the game that we put them up in such subhuman conditions to watch cricket matches. It's a disgrace. Nobody should be allowed, nobody should be made to watch cricket matches in the conditions that we have. My neighbor went to watch the 2020 game the other day with his son who's 10 years old. If your son is 9, 10 years old, you take him to watch cricket matches, you know? Because that is where the seed is sown. That is where they really want. He was crying all the time because he was squashed on all the sides. There's always more people in the, in the stands and stands can accommodate. It is an absolute disgrace the way we treat our spectators. And the reason is that we don't care for them. Absolute disgrace. Money in itself is not a disgrace, but an obsession with money is a disgrace. 
Well, then it takes us to that debate. Steve O had an article about this in the papers when the side screen is being changed or when the ball is being changed very briefly or a player is injured and advertisement is just squeezed in. Others, watching the telecast. Yeah, watching telecast. the telecast, right. So sometimes as cricket fans, uh, we are a disgruntled lot. Do you think it's too much? It is, but uh, television companies are not in the business of philanthropy. True. Television companies run a business like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the value of the rights has gone up enormously. So there is enormous pressure on sales to deliver, like in every company. When there are, I keep saying this, when there are four companies in the, in the fray, two dynamics take place, two sets of dynamics are coming. One is what takes the rights price up and one is what brings the advertising rates down. Because if there are three people all offering cricket, someone says, okay, I've got a slightly lower price to offer you. So that can happen. So then how do you recover your investment? So you have to flood people with advertising. It's a, it's a pity. I don't think Indian viewers deserve to see telecasts like that, but there's a reason for that. And I think everybody's got to sit together like they would in most countries where the viewer counts and say, right, we'll pay the rights of this money on the condition that you do not do more than so much advertising. But all that makes one fundamental assumption, which is that the viewer counts. Yeah. Good companies make the viewer count. I think ESPN Star does to a very large extent. When the contract is being handed out, you just mentioned about the viewer experience. Is that taken into consideration at all? Or it's just a dollar amount or the rupee amount that is seen? Well, I don't know exactly. I've not been uh, on the negotiating side of it all. But I do know for a fact that when Channel 4 won the terrestrial, won the rights in England, they were told that there can only be a certain amount of intrusive advertising on. But not every economy works that way. But I don't know exactly whether such things are put in place. But I can understand why they are put in place because you've got to maximize revenue. So everybody's in the business of maximizing revenues and maximizing profits. Mm-hmm. So something's got to give somewhere. That's why 50 over cricket will never die. There's not enough advertising time on 20 over cricket. Okay, cricket. So 50 over cricket is, is the financial power of uh, world cricket. 50 years. Uh, I'm taking you back to cricket again. You are a great fan of Courtney Walsh. He had around 170 odd wickets when he was 30. And when he retired on 37, he ended up with 519 wickets. Now, what is it that he does differently as compared to very gifted bowlers like, say, Zaheer Khan or R.P. Singh from your interactions or observations? I think he just buried his ego and played for his side. When he was part of four bowlers, his job was to run into the wind. And because he ran into the wind, the others could bowl in the wind behind them. So somebody upstairs who's, who's getting their equations right, you know, Mm-hmm. He says, I made you bowl into the wind for six years. Okay, I'll give you the reward some other time. But no ego. Just keep on bowling and bowling and bowling. Keep him out shut and just bowl. Did you hear any great comments from Courtney Walsh saying, I don't like this and I don't like that. If this is wrong and this is right and give me more contracts. No. True performers don't talk. They don't need to talk because everyone sees what they're doing. So then in India, for example, John Wright has written in his book, Indian Summers. He says that in India, cricket is so big that if you are successful, they'll name a street after you. But if you are not then they'll chase you down the same street. So when India more often than not loses in one-day internationals, uh, so is it that fear of failure back home that people might not treat their... uh, I don't know. At a subliminal level, maybe there is. But what I like most about the T20 win was Dhoni's family saying, we will not allow you to come and celebrate with us. You can't have people throwing stones in your house one day and coming and celebrating with you the next. It's not done. And I know you'll find a lot of people saying they're public figures, so you must stay rough with the smooth. That's a lot of nonsense. Nobody, nobody has a right to come and throw stones at you because you lost a cricket match. You didn't leak military secrets from your country. You didn't go and kill your countrymen. You played a cricket match that you lost. That is it. We talk about playing for India being a matter of life and death. I'd let you hear a stupider statement than that. It's not about life and death. You're making fun of people whose job is life and death. Are you telling a Jawan in Siachin that Yuvraj Singh is playing for life and death? I mean, it's a joke. Our lives can never be compared to theirs. There's this guy at Siachin. There's this guy on the western border. He is really looking at death in the face. 
and we need to look at his life and say all we are doing is playing a cricket match you win a cricket match you go home you lose a cricket match you still go home you lose a war you don't go home and i think we need to put cricket in perspective in this country i think cricket gets way too much importance far far too much importance a lot of things said about cricket are stupid mm-hmm. because we lost our sense of perspective on cricket cricket is a game cricket is a sport and that is it at the end everybody goes home and i think we need to understand that but then it's, it's not going to happen I mean, even How if you throw stones at someone because he lost a cricket match if i do a bad interview will you throw stones at me isn't the culture then because we keep doing that it's not for the first time eden gardens had done because that people build expectations up people say dhoni is better than gilchrist because by a little glitch for a few days dhoni was the world's number one ranked odi batsman so is dhoni better than gilchrist so telling all these guys in charkar you know what your neighbor is the world's greatest batsman and if you saying your neighbor is the world's greatest batsman you're building up their expectations and then it doesn't perform you say kya hai ye kuch nahi kar raha hai but still doesn't give you the right to throw stones at people's houses a last couple of questions i know i've already overrun the 20 minutes i'm sure you might have got smss about this i don't know whether you would want to answer this there is someone who's doing something similar for some other channel and and he is unabashedly imitating you or aping you possibly or wanting to be you what is your take on that he works on uh, espn for a long time he worked in a newsroom so he's seen a lot of me over right. the years okay he's a young kid who's trying very hard to mm-hmm. make it big and you have to applaud the efforts of everyone who's trying to make it big and he's mm-hmm. working very hard at making it right. big but uh, it never helps to be like somebody else mm-hmm. and in course of time we must evolve our own styles but he's very young in the profession and you have to give him time to make mistakes mm-hmm. we must be patient if you think you've seen talent then you must give talent the time to make mistakes and he will grow i hope he grows because we need more people to grow but if you try to imitate somebody you're making it difficult for yourself right because you must have your own style whatever mm-hmm. is natural to you if you try to imitate somebody the mask drops at some point mm-hmm. and then that looks bad but we've all started off if you see some of my early works my style was different my accent was different my choice of words were different with confidence comes certain maturity with that maturity comes the ability to pause to breathe to use the right expression so give people time but all i all i tell him and he, he's called me quite a few times his name is rk he's called me quite right. a few times and all i tell him is be your own person don't try and be somebody else because the moment you try to be somebody else then people are saying comparing you to somebody else and when you're starting off in life you'll come second you might come first as you go along mm-hmm. when you're starting out in life you'll come second but that's all right mm-hmm. it, it's inevitable your point is inevitable i mean i wanted to be like alan sekelwar i've been around for a while now if somebody wants to be like me yeah, if you could with us yes but it's not going to help them but they will realize that in course of time themselves like you said over time you started changing your style your accent so then in sales you have targets in ad agencies you need to satisfy your clients now in your case how do you measure yourself say on october 27 2007 how has harsha bogle grown as compared to october 27 2006 i don't know i look back some sometimes i watch i don't watch my own work as much as i should i should but i don't i don't know why maybe i'm just lazy but sometimes i watch my own work to be honest i don't like it very much mm-hmm. i look at myself on screen and i say there must be something that people have seen about me that i haven't I don't know how many people like to see themselves. There's a certain vanity associated with seeing yourself. I like myself more in commentary than on the highlights packages that I get to see. Probably the reason I don't like myself in the highlights is they're done very late at night when everyone wants to go home. Yes. And you're still trying to be up and cheerful but you're actually <laughs> quite tired. I think it's because we are so programmed to seeing handsome people on screen. You're being arrogant and modest to everything. No, no. Television is not about being handsome. Television is about being handsome. A lot of us wouldn't have been in this profession at all. But I like myself on commentary far better than mm-hmm. I like myself posting highlights. Sometimes I look at it and say, yeah, this is all right, you know. Mm-hmm. But 
I think it's, it's it's a call that's best made by somebody else. But I don't want to tell people, listen, I'm hopeless, you don't look at me anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's a call that's got to be made by somebody else. But, yeah, I mean, I've been listening to some of the commentary I did in 1996. It's very different from what I did now. No, I, I, I like a lot of what I do and I don't like some parts of what I do. Who do you think in the current lot of cricketers that you would want to be a part with? Who will make a good commentator in the current lot? I think Saurav Ganguly will, if he's interested in learning television. A lot of cricketers just come into the box and think that because they play cricket now, everything else is a piece of cake. It isn't. But cricketers will become good commentators of people who spend time trying to understand television. I think Saurav Ganguly wants to understand television because he's in a very advantageous position and he's the kind of person who speaks his mind. Right. I think Saurav would do all right. If Rahul loosens up a little bit, mm-hmm. Rahul will be very, very good. And I have no doubt that Rahul will make the effort. Because everything that Rahul has done in life, he's, he's made the effort to be good. But I don't know whether he'd want to do it right anyway. Rahul is, has got a lot of interests that I'm sure he'd like to pursue as well. So I don't know whether he'd want to do it straight away. Mm-hmm. But Rahul will be alright. I made I made the prediction about Ravi Shastri and Sanjay Manjrekar in 1992. Oh, you did? I said the next two commentators out of India will be Ravi and Sanjay. And what a pity that uh, we haven't really grown that list very much. It's, it's a pity for the viewer. It's damn good for me. <laughs> but you would still ring because... I'm not, sure. I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure. When Rajesh Khanna was at his peak, did you think he'd win? Forever. We're looking at Bachchan has had dips. Mm-hmm. We are not Bachchans. If Bachchan can have a dip, all of us will have a dip. The trick is to enjoy it while it lasts and not feel possessive about it. I do. I mean, I'm saying what it should be. Mm-hmm. I'm very possessive, and I'll I'll feel terrible when someone else becomes better than me, as someone inevitably will. Of course, somebody will get better than me one day. But I'll be bad about that. But in the end, you've got to understand that you must enjoy it while it lasts. You can't hold on to it all your life. Maybe somebody will. All I'll tell you is if somebody wants to get better than me, he'll have to work his backside off. Yes. And I'll ensure that it becomes as difficult for him as possible. But I have absolutely no doubt. Mm-hmm. Because you see, the newer generation coming in is already sophisticated. Mm-hmm. They've watched a lot of cricket. They know what is right about a broadcast, what is wrong about a broadcast, what is good about the anchor, what is not good about an anchor. They're sophisticated viewers and therefore they're experienced viewers. What took us five years to learn is learnt in about two months now. We only could learn by making mistakes. There's no one to look up to, there's no one to emulate. Today there are people to look up to, people to emulate so you grow faster. But there are many qualities that you need mm-hmm. to become very good. And right on top of that pile is humility. Very, very high on that pile is humility. And I see a lot of kids getting into the profession today who want to become television stars in three months. And I say more power to you because the more people who want to become stars in three months, the less people they will be coming up because you won't come up in three months. Are you willing to learn for two years? But that is the single greatest quality that you must possess as a live television actor. To understand that you are not the star. I think who the real stars in television are. The real stars in television are the people who do the communication, mm-hmm. the engineers who lay the cables, who ensure that the telecast goes on air. They are the real stars, not us. You can put the icing on a cake, but someone's got to make a cake, right? The real stars are the people you don't see. But if you want to stand in front of the television and you say, you know what, I'm looking down this lens, I've locked my eyes down the lens, I'm the biggest star that's been on television, then you're very close to sleeping. And then you won't enjoy yourself. It's all about that then. Of course it is. We're very privileged with doing what we do. And we couldn't be luckier than the life we have. I'm jealous. <laughs> the, o- the only person I'm jealous of is, uh, is Shah Rukh and Anil Kapoor because they got to work with Madhuri Dixit. <laughs> I still wouldn't exchange my job with theirs. I wouldn't mm-hmm. exchange my job with anybody else in the world. There's only bad thing about my job is it keeps me away from the family. Mm-hmm. But I would not exchange my job with anybody else in the world. We're not very lucky to be doing what you're doing so you can't take it for granted. But then with, if you played a decent amount of cricket, first class you have a good shot at uh, becoming a commentator. But then how do we ensure or how do we get Harshas into the commentary box. You will not. You will not. Mm-hmm. You will not get another me because the system will not allow that to happen. Today, if you've got a very talented young kid, he's got to be a hundred times better than a first class cricketer. A hundred times better. Not three times better, not five times better, a hundred times better. Have you seen the domestic cricket coverage in India? Rarely. Don't. Watch it on mute. 
There's a good commentator there, but there is absolutely no chance for a young kid because the BCCI says that the rights holders, only first class commentators are allowed to do first class cricket. And I laugh at that and say, thank God Adan Tata runs his own company. He'd never get to head his company because he's not a truck driver. <laughs> but I feel very, very sad. There will never be another non-cricketer commentator in India at the way the way they're going. And that's sad because I'm sure people want intelligent conversation as well. Not to say that cricketers cannot deliver intelligent conversation, but we make an assumption that cricketers can do commentary alone, which sometimes is a fair assumption, sometimes isn't. So, young kid 19, 20, 21, feel very sorry for them because the amount of talent there is in India is staggering. So, I mean, they should not be wasting their time at all in getting into something that... They I don't know who's giving the breaks. The biggest thing that will happen to Indian broadcasting is if live radio commentary is taken away from all India radio. And if it's opened out to private broadcasters, we'll then look for bright young kids who'll be good at radio commentary. And that is where the big breaks will come. Because uh, I know you used the word disgrace before. All India radio commentary is a disgrace. It's a disgrace to India. Today, modern India, proud, achieving, responsible, respected India cannot put that broadcast out. But don't you think those guys already know that? I mean, of course they do it. So why don't they do anything? Because you're working on the assumption that they want to be good. It's a very fundamental assumption that we all make about most things because you guys have grown up in the private sector. You've not grown up with a controlled economy where profit was a bad word and where excellence was not desired. Because you guys have not seen that kind of world, you assume inherently that everybody wants to be good. But not everyone wants to be good because it's too difficult sometimes. So they're not interested. How many monopoly organizations have you worked with? Have you seen? The greatest evil that you can do to, in a consumer society is create monopolies. BCCI is an example that we can think of right away. They do, uh, don't get this wrong. BCCI uh-huh. has quite a few things that are right. Quite a few things that are right. Look, Indian trade won't have become so rich if BCCI had done everything wrong. But they could be much better. My, my own thesis is that Indian cricket should be number one and number two in the world. Given the resources we have available, Indian cricket should necessarily be number one and number two in the world. And if you are not, you are doing something wrong. We're doing a few things right. We've got the money in the game. We've got the resources in the game. We've got a pretty decent junior cricket system in India. Mm-hmm. Selections are not always great, but it's still got a pretty g- decent junior selection system in India. It's improving. Mm-hmm. Let's be very honest. Cricket is improving in this country. There's no doubt about it. Cricket's improving in this country. Even the one kid stadium is being pulled down. We're going to get a lovely new stadium in Mumbai. Oh, cool. Which is great news. It's great news. You might be able to go and watch a game at the one kid stadium. But uh, I don't know if you're growing quickly now. Mm-hmm. Easy to throw bricks at BCCI, but they're doing a few things right. Not everything. Uh, thanks a lot, Rasha. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.